0: You're listening to The Doctor's Companion, brought to you by InStockTrades.com and DCBService.com. Welcome to the third episode in a row of The Doctor's Companion. <laughs> I'm Scott Corelli. And I'm Matt Smith, but not that Matt Smith. And uh, we're from MindRobber.net, the home site of MindRobber Productions, where we talk about all the things on podcasts, like this one, The Doctor's Companion, where we talk about Doctor Who three times in a row uh, with no signs of stopping. Uh, (laughs) the Mind Drawers versus where we pick a show we love and talk about it episode by episode Uh, currently uh, we've been alternating between Superman the animated series and Batman the animated series Uh, very very soon uh, starting up Batman Beyond jumping from there to Justice League and Justice League Unlimited and then uh, completely jumping ship to uh, Veronica Mars uh, toward the end of the year early next year um, that's also the place, the Mind Robbers verses, where you can hear what we think about movies. So if you wanted to hear what we had to say about the Lone Ranger, that's where you'd go. Also Pacific Rim and coming soon, the Wolverine. Uh, so, so, uh, subscribe to the mind robbers versus, and, and listen to what we have to say about things that aren't Dr. Do- Who. Um, and then if you want to hear a place where we might talk about like whatever else we feel like talking about, then you're going to want to check out our flagship podcast, the mind robbers, cause that's where we talk about everything else. And if you like our shows, you should review them on iTunes. Uh, if you don't, please do not review them because that's rude. Uh, if you have questions, comments, concerns, or any other sort of cool thing you might feel like sharing, you can email those to us, at podcast at mindrobber.net. And if you want to start a discussion, uh, find the post for the episode you want to discuss, leave a comment, uh, on the website and we will comment back and boom, there you go. Uh, and then finally, uh, tell your friends, tell all of your hoovian friends about this show and be like, Hey, these guys are cool. You should listen to this. And if you don't, I'm not your friend anymore. Uh, that's just one strategy you could use.
1: It's, I, I don't know if it's recommended, but you know what? Why not? See what happens.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 It might work. It might work. It might. Uh, all right. So today we're talking about the third, uh, the third adventure in The Key to Time, uh, The Stones of Blood. And uh, I'm assuming there's got to be some sort of background of significance for this. So, uh, Matt, take it away. Yeah, there's
1: no background and significance.
0: Um, no, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's a joke. Uh, Stones of Blood,
1: notable, I think, most importantly, that uh, if you ever was wondering, hey, I wonder what the 100th adventure of Doctor Who is, this is the 100th adventure of Doctor Who. <laughs> I know you're just watching it and you're just like, I don't understand why. Like I could, I could tell you that right now and you'd be completely surprised. Um, cause there's no fanfare with it. Um, there was a rumor at one point that uh, they were going to have uh, uh, some people wanted them to write in a scene in which uh, Romana and K Nine, cause the first episode was short, a scene in which they walk in with a cake and celebrate the Doctor's 751st birthday and they gave him a scarf but they decided that that was just way too masturbatory and decided not to do that. So um, instead we're left with no fanfare for the 100th uh, Doctor Who story of the classic era. Um, uh, most importantly I think it's, it's, it's important to note that this is the first story written by David Fisher. David Fisher being a writer who uh, had been around for actually quite some time before this uh, this episode, he he had actually submitted to uh, David Whitaker of all people um, uh, for the first season of Doctor Who, but he got rejected and uh, eventually just came back around after bouncing around to a bunch of different shows. So this is the first adventure written by David Fisher, and it's one of four that he actually ended up working on. He has credit on three of them, and then un- he's uncredited on the fourth. Which is City of Death. He's the guy who kind of came up with the initial groundwork for for City of Death, and then Graham Williams kind of rewrote it, and Douglas Adams rewrote it in a weekend. Um, but David Fisher actually is weird because we're about to talk about him tomorrow again because he wrote Androids of Terra, uh, which is which tells you how much the production team really liked his work here, um, or how desperate they were to get a fourth story. Uh, you take your <laughs> p- you take your pick. Um, uh, the director is Daryl Blake. He's not anyone. One significant, um, this is his only Doctor Who credit, uh, but other than that I mean, that's the Stones of Blood uh, this also, worth noting that this is, I mean, just as background I try not to mention just popular fan consensus, but this is uh, and I told you this, Scott off mic this is considered one of the best parts of the key to time and one of the most underrated classic series at least it was up until very recently i don't know where it stands now but this was a story that was so popular that when doctor who magazine was doing individual write-ups on particular stories this was the story that russell t davies chose and davies by this by the time that he wrote that article was already the captain of doctor who so this is kind of significant for that reason um hmm. this is this is the thing this is this is a story that has a lot of popularity within fandom um so that's that uh Stones of blood let's talk about it
0: all right, uh, but before we do, I want to remind you that uh, we are sponsored, and and, and and this show is sponsored by InStockTrades.com. Uh, go there and buy, uh, you know, graphic novel collections, uh, all of uh, Doctor Who, um, all of the Doctor Who comics from IDW and, and the BBC that are available on InStockTrades.com are going to be on sale uh, from now until the end of November to celebrate the 50th anniversary, so... Uh, get on there, get get you know your paperbacks, your hardcovers, your omnibus uh, and absolute editions, uh, which they have all of those options in Doctor Who comics, um, and you you can get uh, those at like a really hefty discount. Uh, plus, you know uh, everything else is thirty five to forty five percent off, and you may be saying to yourself, well, obviously the big guns are going to be the thirty five percent off ones, and you would be incorrect. Uh, The big guns like Dark Horse, Image, Marvel, DC, those are all 45% off always, all the time. Um, That is their regular sale price, 45% off the cover price. Uh, And then new release specials every week for 50% off. So you really have no excuse not to be reading comic books at this point uh, because in-stock trades exists. And uh, go there, order enough stuff. And uh if, if your if your bill comes out to over fifty dollars, you get free shipping. How can you possibly beat that? Spoilers, you can't go to InStockTrades.com, dot com, get some uh get some Doctor Who comics. Because uh what else are you gonna do for the fiftieth anniversary? It's not like the show's on TV. Oh, snap. <laughs> uh all right, so the Stones of Blood. Um So you told me uh, to be wary of this one, I remember. Um, And right before we watched it, you told me two things. You told me the Russell T. Davies thing, and you told me that it takes a a crazy, weird left-hand turn in the middle of the third episode, Um, which it does. Um, (laughs) But... But uh, what I wasn't expecting, I guess, was actually to love this as much as I did. Um, I loved this. Like, to pieces. (laughs) Um, uh, I love this a lot. Uh, This is kind of everything I could want from a a, uh, classic Who story, because it's like... It just does really weird things and it and it uses the limited budget that classic who had to its advantage. And so it's like, what can we do? That's cheap. It's like, well, I want to do rock monsters. OK, so how about they're just rocks? <laughs> great. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's that's awesome. Like, I love that. I love the effect of the of the like the little like judicial committee, um, the yes. little specs that float. Oh, my God. So great. Uh, I love Tom Baker in in the little wig, um, like the powdered wig. Like, that's great. And I I don't know, man. I love the range of this story. Like, I love that it starts off as sort of like a culty, a culty, like witch coven thing Um, and then just devolves into like (laughs) devolves into a a science fiction court drama. Like I just I I I just I love that about this. Um I don't know, man. I thought this was great. I had I had a ton of fun watching this and I can totally see why Russell T Davies loves this so much. Um for I mean so many reasons, least of which being uh I mean the the woman the professor character is such a Russell T Davies character and the way that she interacts with the doctor, like when they're just working on that laser gun thing Mm -hmm. and they're just like, they're just like talking, they're just having a conversation that really has little to do with anything. And it just, it felt like I was watching Russell T Davies, Dr. Who, because that's, that's the thing that would happen all the time on that show. Um, And I would arguably say has only happened in Moffat's who in Vincent and the doctor. Um, uh, where the doctor just like talks just about not the plot with one of the new characters, um, and that happened all the time in the Russell T Davies era, and 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 uh, really that's one of the things that was lost in the Moffat era because when you cut out two parters, uh, you you uh, squeeze all the air out of your stories, um, and then you lose a lot of what makes them special, mm-hmm. um, and that's why I love this is like. Y- you would not there is absolutely no way to do the stones of blood in in a 45 minute story um and i kind of love that about it and even the even the uh the villain um uh what's her face uh cesare cesare
1: yeah cesare of diplos
0: cesare um she is such a russell t davies villain because one thing that that um one thing with Russell T. Davies is when he writes male villains they seem to all uh be very different, but most of the female villains from his era are all kind of just cackling madmen mm-hmm. um and that's that's totally what the that's totally what Cessor is and i uh I just saw Russell T. davies all over that so mm-hmm. i i just I love this I thought this was. This was so much better than I was expecting. I mean, it's no rebos operation. Don't get me wrong, but not many things are (laughs) right. Exactly. But, but for just like generic doctor who like, this is what I'm talking about this is this is what i want on like on on a on a story by story basis is a story that's not afraid to really just go out there and do whatever mm-hmm. um and use the best of its very limited budget and i and i just think that this this story delivers uh in spades like this is like the opposite of mm-hmm. Uh, of uh, Pirate Planet. Whereas Pirate Planet is like big ideas that could not possibly be executed on the budget that they have. This is big ideas that... uh David Fisher um, and Daryl Blake, I would assume. And, and uh, Graham Williams, maybe. Cause if he's back on va- back from vacation at this point, um, maybe the combination of them were like, they took those big ideas and they're like, remember that didn't work in the pirate planet. Let's try and figure these out and make them work on this budget. And they just totally did. It's just, Oh, it's so good. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's funny. Stones of blood as a story is one of the very rare doctor who stories that I've only ever seen once. Um, Uh, The way that the blog was constructed is I would watch the episode, then I would go back and blog it and watch it at the same time, more or less. And so that means that I basically watched everything I did for that blog twice. Uh, Mm -hmm. When I did The Key to Time, uh, Stones of Blood was one that I had given to Cassandra to, to, to write up. And... Um, uh, so I only watched this once, and I basically only had time to watch this once because as soon as I'd finished Pirate Planet, I watched this and then dove right into Androids of Terra. And, and the thing about Stones of Blood that's interesting is like, I mentioned the third episode, Left Turn, because it's very jarring if you don't know it's coming. Um, and really just kind of reframes the whole thing in a context that I think you're not necessarily ready for if you're not warned about it. Um, and I think I might have been a little bit warned about it, but I don't think I was warned hard enough about it, which is why I kind of come down hard on warning people about it. Um, so I've only seen this once, and so it's always been colored by that one time where I just thought, where I kind of lost interest when the Megara showed up, and I was just like, I don't know, the court drama. I was really interested in, like, the druid um, uh, gothic aspect of it. It really reminds me a lot of what i love about something like the demons um just in the way that that is about like rural paganism as a mm-hmm. thing and, and culty druid stuff um so it reminded me a lot of that and i remember the first time being really disappointed but watching it again i am completely with you um <laughs> This was awesome. Um this was so much better than I was expecting it to be. Um I think if I have one complaint there's a and I don't know why, maybe I'm just expecting to hate it, but I feel like this at times moved just a little too slow for me. Um but only a hair. But the rest of it was so good that I really didn't even care by the end of the by the end of the thing cuz I just I was having such a good time. I thought it was fascinating and done in such a way that um the reason the left turn the left turn is because uh, the story that you're watching, and Fisher does this in all of his other story, well, not Androids of Terra, but he does it in, um, in, in Creature from the Pit, where the solution to Creature from the Pit is seemingly solved about five minutes into episode three, and then episode four is just a uh, why did we do this runaround, and... The reason for that, I'm convinced, um, is because the director for Creature from the Pit had no idea what to do with it, was focusing on that story in the way that I was focusing on that story. But the thing about it is, like, Daryl Blake, in directing this um does some good things but more than anything understands that the story that fisher's telling is not the story of druid myths and stone circles that's a part of it but what he's saying is the thing that's behind these druid myths and storms stone circles in this case cesar of diplos and so long as cesar of diplos is the main focus this story works and i think that fisher's script um, I mean, Fisher's been around for 20 years by this point. Or maybe not 20 years, but been around for 15 years by this point. He's smart. He knows what he's doing. Uh, I feel like the guy's operating on a level that's very sophisticated, and shockingly so, um, mm-hmm. for a guy who is so concerned with writing, essentially, children's television. Um, and I love this for all the reasons that you said. I think it's clever. It's smart. It's funny. The doctor in that silly wig is genius, and watching him... Mm-hmm out think the magarans is really fantastic um i love this i really did this was this is this was great um uh uh, like i was just watching the opening of this like the first two and a half episodes and i was just like oh my god we're just doing the demons and i couldn't care less like i mean i just loved that (laughs) it just yeah so good oh my god i so so amazing um uh, it's funny because I watch... Uh, thinking about this and thinking about the thir- the turn that's in the middle of episode three. Because basically, if you haven't seen this... And I can't imagine why you'd listen if you haven't seen it. But uh, the turn is like... The Doctor and Romana land on Earth. And when they land on Earth, they come across this stone circle and this druid myth thing. This cult idea. And... Then they go off and have this adventure, and then about at the end of episode two, Romana is transported to a trans-dimensional spaceship that is kind of in orbit around Earth or stuck in a time vortex around Earth. And then about halfway through the episode the doctor joins, and when the doctor and Romana get on the ship, they set free these little tiny light beings. And by light beings, I mean like shimmers of light that are just bureaucratic nightmares. And <laughs> the story the story turns from this story about druid legend that's really kind of interesting and gothic and wonderful into the story that is just about like court politics like yeah in a way that's bizarre so like if you're not ready for that to happen like this story definitely lends itself to you gotta watch it twice like you have to watch it twice after some time uh, percolating like this this really lends itself to rewatching, but um uh, if you're not ready for that, this, you're not going to like it, but if you're ready for it, you kind of know it's coming and you get what that Fisher is doing is telling the story of the doctor, bringing down this, the, the Cesar, the Cesar character. I think you're in for a good time. Um, cause I think it's really important. Uh, so yeah, I mean, just, it was, it's so great. It's so, 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 yeah. so great.
0: Yeah. My, my, my one and only complaint that I have about this is, is that the, uh, <laughs> It felt like it felt like uh David Fisher was writing this script, and was like, "Oh my god!" Like he was just so in love with the concept, in love with the story. And then he got to the very end, and he was just like, "Oh, ah, d- uh, damn it! I have to have the key to time." And <laughs> <laughs> was like, uh, she's wearing a necklace, and he yanks it off, and that's the key." <laughs> And when that happened, I would just laugh because I knew that's exactly what happened. Like, there's no way. Um, <laughs> it was just such an afterthought. It was, it was so funny. Uh, and like, that's not to say I would wa- have wanted it any other way because I, I, I rather that than it shoehorned into the story somehow. Um, but it's, it was just so funny. Mm-hmm. It's so, it's so clever. Like, it's just <laughs> like,
1: it's just like I love that the doctor just. Uh, there's this thing about the key to time so far, which is that the doctor figures out what the key is very early, what the segment is. And then he just kind of goes through the motion until he can get ready to, to grab the key. Um, And I like that structure because it, 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 it allows this, it allows this season to be tremendously unsatisfying, if that makes sense, because, and I say that, I say that because, you walk into the season, you just expect every scene to be about the key to time. You know, like you expect mm-hmm. it to just be about that. If you hear when you hear that season sixteen is about the key to time and the Doctor's quest for the key to time, you expect everything to be about the key. And if I have a complaint, I, that is a complaint. But to be fair, we also watched the classic series do a a big overarching story, and the best that we came up with was Trial of a Time Lord. And I think that Trial of a Time Lord is good, not great. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that. Because stretching a serialized mystery over the course of 26 episodes would be a lot for any people, for anyone, um, I think that doing it this way and having the segments be an afterthought is a great way to make the whole season matter as a whole, while also being able to tell fun stories like this. Like if this were a story that included the black guardian and I mean, I know the white guardian has a line in there, but that included the black guardian and that, that stupid character who shows up in, um, the shadow, I suppose, just to preview that idea. Um, I wouldn't be as interested in this, but making this just a story of the doctor being on this quest and just kind of going around and not making it a larger into the larger context, I think, really helps this season more than i'm rewatching it now because it makes it so much more standalone you can watch the rebus operation and be wholly satisfied not feel like you have to watch the rest and same here like i feel like i could pick this story up anytime and just love mm-hmm. it every time um mm-hmm. and i think that's to that's to this story's credit and to the season's credit because they i i don't think it was their goal but they're creating disparate Discrete parts and making all of those discrete parts work in a way that's believable and enjoyable. Um, yes, and I and I love that about it. And and it's funny because if you had asked me this three years ago when I was coming off watching this, I'd be like, "Oh, this was this was not good. It was BS that they didn't make them link all together." But now that I'm here, I would vastly prefer a season, regardless of quality, of the rest of the stories that produces two individual stories like Stones of Blood and Rebus Operation to something like. Trial of a Time Lord, that has one very, very, very good story and one incredible episode. But in order to get those things, you kind of have to watch the rest of it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, And I think that that's to this credit, and I love that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you said there's, there's one more uh, story this season that's actually really good, right?
1: I really love uh, Androids of
0: Terra. Um, okay, the next one. Okay, yeah. awesome. Then again, like, I...
1: I love the things about Andrew's terra. I mean we'll talk about it tomorrow, but it's it's like it's a courtly drama, it's a medieval drama, it's it's basically just an adaptation of the prisoner of Zen Prisoner of Zenda, but I'm not familiar with Prisoner of Zenda. People always write it off like, oh, it's just an adaptation of Prisoner of Zenda. I'm like, well I haven't read it and I kind of like this. So so it's kind of good. It reminds me of like when we on Versus talked about that Ventriloquist episode. That was just a redo of um Psycho, Psycho two. 2. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, it makes it so that I don't care. I have the thing that I like, and, and I can have both of those things. Like, I don't care. Yeah. I kind of don't care if a story is remade. If both are good, I don't really care. Um, mm-hmm. And Answers of Terra, I mean, there's just... Oh there's so much stuff that I love about it, but we'll talk about it tomorrow I want to go i I could just go and start talking about it, but I'm not going to um, <laughs> which is which is which is a good which is a, which is a sign of the times um the one thing that I will admit about this story that I think is just utterly utterly brilliant is um uh making the budget work in a way that is both ludicrous and honestly terrifying, and that scene is the scene in which the ogre um, these giant monolith stone circle things come across this. Cam- these two campers in a campsite, and I love just. Oh, right, the postcoitus campers. The post, the campers, and my favorite thing about them is that there's just like they just <laughs> they're outside, and then they like come out of their tent, and there's just these two just like stone rocks in front of them, and they're just mm-hmm. like, hmm, it's, it's weird. Um. <laughs> And well, it's, well what else would
0: you think? You know? I, I,
1: oh, I'm I'm totally with them on it. I didn't I don't I don't mean to say that they're not they're not totally justified, but knowing that the these stones are just completely insane, like they're just ludicrously yeah. silly, um <laughs> I just love the juxtaposition. Like it's just a weird only Doctor Who can do it juxtaposition yeah. in that, you know, you have these stones and it is just a ridiculous image. It is just like there's mm-hmm. these glowing Stonehenge stones, just kind of looking at these two campers, and like it is at all times menacing
0: and ridiculously over the top campy. And 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 let let me stop you <sighs> right there. For those of you who haven't watched this, when we say looking, uh, we mean they're just stones that are sitting there. They don't have eyes or mouths. They don't communicate. They're just uh, like what five six foot tall just stone wedges yeah <laughs> that are just there they're just rocks yeah they're not they have no personality or anything they glow they're not but that's walking it. around like yeah and and they kind of glow like yeah. <laughs> even the glowing is somewhat questionable yeah. Most of oh, the time suspect. they just sort it's of roll around suspect. yeah um they're just rocks um <laughs> And and this scene is like if the, if if in a Friday the Thirteenth movie, instead of the campers coming out and being greeted by Jason, they were just greeted by a six foot tall stone wedge.
1: <laughs> and that sounds great. Uh, <laughs> it just sounds so awesome. Like it's just it's so fun. And I I remember watching this the first time and just cackling because like. Yeah, well, the first time I watched Doctor Who, I was watching mostly for the sort of ludicrous silliness that the show is want to do, and th- this absolutely gave me that in that one scene. <laughs> it's just so funny. Oh, it's so, so, so funny. Um, well, I mean, I guess I guess that's, that's, that's really all I have to say, except to also, I guess, point out that the Megara, I didn't really like them the first time, but now this time... I I love them. They are, yeah, they, are they are wonderful. Fantastic. Oh my god!
0: And Tom Baker, uh, he knows how to hold an eyeline. I'm oh, impressed.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. God. He's
0: really good at that. I, uh, uh, he's certainly better than Daniel Radcliffe, right?
1: <laughs> well, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, but it's it's really impressive because they do manage to make it all match up and in a way that is believable. And it's funny mm-hmm. because. Looking at it, like Fisher as a writer, just does with the Doctor what I like to see with the Doctor, and I don't know how to explain that. But if you look at, like, I mean, we didn't really talk about it on the Pirate Planet, but the Pirate Planet has so much Tom Baker in excess. Um, uh, he's really just chewing the scenery and chewing the jokes, and you know, having a very good time with it. Um, mm-hmm. Looking at this, like it's not that it's not that his performance is constrained in the way that his performance is constrained under Hitchcock. It's that Fisher is writing him in such a way that it really just gets to his strengths without him being a D bag. Um, and I like that. Um, and I don't think I appreciated it the first time because I was still trying to get a beat on Tom Baker and watching it now and being somewhat of a, I guess, Tom Baker apologist. Um, uh I I find I like it. Like this is a really good story for him. Uh I think Rebos is probably stronger for him, but you know, he's really great here. Um and that mm-hmm. moment where he pulls out that wig is just genius. Like it's so exquisitely timed (laughs) because because he's just like well i'll be the defendant and he just out of his pocket pulls out this wig that's supposed to cover his head and just doesn't even cover his hair um and (laughs) and he just does it so well romana's the whole time just sitting there just going just going what the what the hell like what what are you doing um uh, i love
0: that romana one changes her outfit every every story yeah and in this story she changes it
1: twice she does she does (laughs) And it's and it's great. She, I mean, I guess, I think the best story to talk about Romana 1 is actually Androids of Terra, because I think it's a remarkably good story for her for a number mm. of reasons. But, c- one, because Androids of Terra does have my favorite Romana 1 outfit. But, two, because I, I think that she's really good here. Um, mm-hmm. I think that she, like, she has, there's this thing about it where... You know, Romana 1 is done in reaction to Leela, where she's supposed to be this kind of uptight, upstanding individual. And what Mary Tam brings to the table is someone who is keeping up with the Doctor, but also can't compete with the Doctor. Which is a really interesting sort of dynamic, because she's very, very smart. And she's able to be on his level and understand how he's coming to the... like. The con- understand the conclusions when he says them to her, but he's not. But she's not able to outthink him, which is really, really fascinating and speaks a lot to the potential romantic entanglement that they will have later. Um, when when she ends up regenerating into Lala Ward, um, mm-hmm. and I think that that's a really. I mean, it's just a fascinating dynamic because it is the sort of relationship that you would buy a dating couple to have because she is enamored by him despite herself and you can tell that and that's all in her performance and i think that mary tam is really really wonderful um mm-hmm. in, in in a way that i never had appreciated before there's also it also helps that i'm going through uh the big finish adventures with her right now which i think are actually really really great um b- but i just i really appreciate her in a way that i hadn't before and it's really making me happy that i'm watching this now because i didn't like mm-hmm. her the first time and now i really me do so yeah
0: yeah also uh canine i uh I get it now <laughs> get like one. honestly i I never really got canine before um I never really got the appeal like I was like okay but uh, I kind of like him this time. Like I love that moment where she mentions a dog and he's like, "A dog." <laughs> and she's like, what, do you have a dog?" And he's like, "Boy, do I." Like I just <laughs> like I just love that. I love how much he loves K9. Yes. Um and uh I just uh I like that. And K9 is uh she's just she's asking him about tennis. And, she, and he's just like, you know, table tennis, blah, blah, blah. And she's just like, oh, forget it. And he's like, okay, deleting memory files of tennis. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, I love that. Yes. I don't know. Yeah.
1: No, I, I totally agree. I think that he's like, I, I, think it's, I think it's weird because K9 is the sort of thing that has really mass child appeal. Like he really appeals to kids and stuff. And like, there's a part of me that really likes K9. There's a part of me that also realizes that K9 is basically just a laser on wheels. But, but what what you're right what makes k9 charming is the relationship between him and the doctor or specifically how the doctor views k9 because tom baker can sometimes come across as very condescending towards his his little pet dog but in this story this story really highlights the idea that the doctor just has a dog and he loves having a dog. And it's like his cool little bachelor thing that he does. And it's just like his favorite thing. And I love that. Um, yeah, it's, it's so cute. Like, it's so cute. And, uh, uh yeah, just really really great. Like just a brilliant story overall. Just really really clever. That's yeah. that that bit with the paintings was awesome. Um and the mm-hmm. stuff about her being on earth for 4000 years was just really great. And that mm-hmm. okay, one more. That that outfit with the birds and the feather, the bird head and the feathers is terrifying. Like Yeah, it is. That is the stuff of nightmares if I've ever seen it. Like it looks like it looks like uh Tash, I think, which is the the evil bird villain from uh uh c.s lewis's chronicles of narnia um which is honestly a terrifying sight um uh, so i just wanted to shout out that thing (laughs) because yeah
0: (laughs) also there is nothing i love more than (laughs) i was and they didn't do it and i was really hoping they would because then i was going to immediately feel the russell t davies of it all but the way this story opens with um with the uh, the people like at the stones and like doing this whole like blood ritual thing um and then the, then the guy the the doctor comes to that mansion and he goes and he knocks on the door and and the guy in the robe hears the knock and he just like takes the robe off and he's in like a sweater vest and a tie <laughs> I loved that so much, like, but I was hoping that he would just totally like drop the the uh, the the crazy evil guy, uh, uh, like cult guy speak, and just totally just drop into, uh, oh, I wonder who's at the door, like, <laughs> just like super friendly. <laughs> That's yeah. what I was hoping for because that would have amused me to no end. But word, but um, if only, War yeah, word, but only. if only, but. But I did love him taking off the robe and just being in a sweater vest and tie. That was the best.
1: (laughs) That's so good. (laughs) It's like someone taking off a mask and then wearing a mask under the mask. Like, at a certain point, breathe a little, you know?
0: (laughs) Uh, Uh, All right, well... Before we wrap it up, I want to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by dcbservice.com, DCBS, the site that lets you pre-order all your monthly comic book statues, action figures, and anything else you can get from a local comic book shop. You place your orders three months in advance with monthly discount specials up to 75% off and regular discounts of 40% off. Ship as often as you like with orders as large as small as you like. You only pay six ninety-five in flat rate shipping, so thanks to dcbservice.com. Tomorrow we're back with another uh, installment of The Key to Time with uh, the androids of Terra, and yes. uh, I, I'm looking forward to it because it's another one written by David Fisher, mm-hmm. um, who I am now I'm now looking forward to uh, his stories. Um, yeah, because cause if you remember, I I I I didn't hate the Leisure Hive either. Either if you remember,
1: yeah, I suppose he did do the the Leisure Hive.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So, uh, now, now I've heard not good things about the creature from the pit, but I am very interested. Yeah.
1: Well, I know, I don't, I don't like creature from the pit, but I, I like the first, like, I like the first three episodes in five to seven minutes of key to, of creature from the pit. And then it just be, it, the direction is such that it really just doesn't carry the narrative in the way that it needs to. Um, ah. Which is which is which is I think the biggest problem. Um, so
0: well, I'm certainly interested. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so yeah, we will uh, we'll see you tomorrow with the entrance to Terra. Bye guys. Bye.